HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022, and HRN needs your help. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. On this episode of Soul by Chef Todd Richards, uh, this is a really special guest because I, I really, uh, you know, I'm one who's pretty humble, but this gentleman gentleman is pretty humble himself. He really doesn't tell his entire story. Hopefully we'll get some uh, some meaningful words out of him, which won't be a problem. I'm just giving him a hard time. Uh, but, but Clay Williams is my photographer for my upcoming book. He is doing uh, so many wonderful works around uh, New York, Brooklyn. Uh, he just did Chef Kwame's book, which I saw the cover and I was like damn that cover is is really really nice you know it's fun to have uh, competition among different chefs but that cover was really nice but I really want to talk about all things photography food related New York related of course and really what's the status of black foodways uh, in New York and around the country so welcome Clay Williams to Soul by Chef Todd Richards Awesome. Thanks a lot, Todd. Appreciate your having me. It's my, my pleasure. So over the last, uh, I guess, six months, we got to know each other pretty well. Sure. Um, we traveled to New York, Chicago. Well, you're in New York and Brooklyn, uh, Miami. And then you came here to, to Atlanta. And in these travels, um, I found out that you have such a, a interesting history around food that led you to photography. Can you fill everyone in on, on the background of who you are? Sure. So I'm Clay Williams. I'm a photographer and sort of, I don't know, um, food guy, I guess. I I love (laughs) food really brought me to, I mean, I've always liked photography, but food sort of brought me to photography as a, as a profession, really. Um, I, I photographed a lot of different things, but it was always food that I came back to. Um, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Um, and you know, I've, I've, lived in Brooklyn most of my life and um you know I got out of college and it was about the time when what I like to call Brooklyn the brand started happening it's uh, mm-hmm. the, the big farm to table movement uh, a lot of folks um sort of trying out new things experimenting um a lot of a lot of food as art and um and sort of graffiti and like all of this, this sort of confluence of a lot of different types of um, of really interesting things were happening at the same time. And I, I worked a you know office job. I worked in technology, and um, and you know my my evenings were all about exploring what was going on. And uh, I always had a camera with me. Wow. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, you know, it's been. 10 years since uh, I left, I left the day job full time and, um, and, uh, you know, no regrets. 
You know, we have, uh, you know, a lot of people in media, you know, Steve Harvey always says that sometimes you just have to jump. You have to go and do things on, on a leap of faith. Um, uh, sometimes, though, in doing so, you, you have to make sure it's a calculated risk worthwhile, you know, right. uh, you know as, as well. And, and just what was that process of you deciding that, hey, it's time for me to make this a full-time uh, part of my life? So, um you know, I covered a little bit of everything when I was starting out, but, um, you know, I, it was when I started, um, a, a beat, like a, a set beat on food, mm -hmm. um, about 2009 when, uh, Zach Brooks, uh, the founder of a website, uh, now defunct website called Midtown Lunch, um, came to me and asked if I wanted to be one of the contributors uh, for the site. Midtown in in, in Manhattan um, is is known for being a lot, known for a lot of things, uh, none of which is food. <laughs> right. Um, and if you are uh, if you're stuck going there every day, um, you know, with a half hour to an hour to to go and find something decent to eat. Um, you, you'll know that the options are slim. And, um, you know, Zach built up this site, um, you know, just exploring every, every street cart, every, you know, hole in the wall. Um, and, and it was something that, like, I, I certainly got into. And so when he was looking for contributors, um, he reached out to me and a handful of, of other folks. And it gave me the sort of, um, structure around which to really build uh, a, a regular um, reporting subject matter, right? It gave me mm -hmm. the beat that, that let me say, okay, well, I work in, um, I work in Midtown South. I'm near the Empire State Building. I'm just up from the Flatiron District. Like my area is going to be right around here. And, you know, it gave me a reason, you know, to, to hang out a little bit longer at lunch to see, you know, what new places are there to try something new out, how to um, give me area to explore and to photograph and to write about. And and it gave me a real like focus. Um, Is that publication so, still around or? No, no. Okay. It, um, okay. Yeah, not anymore. Zach moved out of the, out of the city a while ago and. Um, and, uh, you know, it sort of faded after that. But um, he, he's doing great things out in L.A. Uh, these days. But So many but, people move out to L.A. right now. It seems like yeah. there's exodus out of, out of New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. New York is always, it, it feels like it's always been like that, where you have this flow in and out, right? Um, um, certainly during lockdown a lot of people headed out but i just saw something earlier today saying that like you know there are apartments breaking records and how expensive they are in uh, wow in manhattan right now um, which is crazy because everyone like a year ago everyone's like why would anyone live in manhattan you have no space <laughs> you don't have to work there anymore um but i, I think people are coming back you know, for the listeners who don't really understand the difference between maybe New York, Manhattan foodways and Brooklyn foodways, which mm -hmm. I find to be dramatically uh, different in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. For sure. Um, um, can you just tell them, what, you know, what are some of the, you know, maybe top three differences that you see between Manhattan and, and Brooklyn? I mean, um, you know, up until hundred and something years ago, New York City and Brooklyn were two different cities, um, you know. So, so each place has its own sort of culture and and neighborhoods and all of that. But like, yeah. So, I mean, Manhattan is it's where the offices are. It's where um, you know a lot of the money is, and so it's a lot more corporate. I mean, there's some some great places um, out of the way. Some some great like big name places um, that are that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, but um, you know the 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 other boroughs in general, in Brooklyn in particular. You know, we we're more residential. We're where people live. I mean, it's still urban, and we still have a mix of everything there. Um, 
offices, manufacturing, um, retail, whatever. But um, but it's a different sort of place. Like people live in these areas, right? Wow. Um, you know, and and like and people who live in these areas are people who don't have you know the country home or you know the 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 two other two or three other places around the around the world, right? These are folks who. You know, in my neighborhood in Sunset Park, um, you know, people asked what it was like during during lockdown, and honestly, the answer was that it wasn't hugely different um, because, wow. well, because you know, it's a neighborhood of immigrants. We don't have, you know, there are a lot of people here who who still have to go to work, um, who you know work jobs where they can't work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and um, and don't have, you know, some family out of state or a place, you know, that they can go to in the country or wherever to get away from, you know. The hustle and bustle. Of, right. Or just trying to survive. There's no, um, right. there's no Times Square billboard, uh, you know, right. in, in the middle of, of yeah. Brooklyn of flashing lights and everything. Right. But, but the food, you know, something you, you just talked about, the, the, the people who live there, uh, you know, just eating meals in Brooklyn, uh, you, you know, it, it, you can judge it. Even when we went to Harlem, um, yeah. where you saw people, you know, representing the cuisine, being the owners, but also people from the nationality or the group um, uh, of where that food might come from eating there. To me, that's a, a more of a telltale sign than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Um, is that more consistent, you think, in the outer areas outside of Manhattan? Like, you know, we went to Harlem, but in Brooklyn in particular. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, you've got a lot of enclaves of folks from different, different places. Um, and you know, everyone brings their little bits of home. So, you know, we went out to Flatbush and Flatbush has long been a West Indian, uh, neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a blend of West Indian neighborhoods. You've got, um, you know, my, my folks are are Jamaican. and, And so you've got a lot of Jamaicans, but you've also got the, um, uh, I think we stopped by a Grenadian yeah. um, um, shop. We 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 went to a couple other places. Uh, I, Stefan I says I, there was some Haitian food right around the corner. I think I had my um, fill of salt cod. I think I think, right, I think we ate yes. about, about um, yeah. I think we ordered about ten orders from every place we went to. They oh were all God. strikingly different, but they were yeah. all still part of the same uh, community. Go, go ahead, Cliff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a lot of saltfish to be had, um, in, in many different forms. Um, you know, my neighborhood and uh, where I live now, I grew up in Bed-Stuy, um, which is historically largely, uh, black American, but, um, um, but it's just across, um, across Atlantic Avenue from Crown Heights, um, which is a whole other, uh, neighborhood of West Indian, um, folks, mm-hmm. uh, uh, another sort of blend that goes right in, uh, it's right next to the Flatbush area. So, so during the, historically during, you know, the Labor Day parade, you have, you have celebrations going on all weekend. Um, you know, that's, that's where you go to get, go to the roti shop or the, the, the wow. good oxtail place. And, um, and you know the bakeries and the whole thing. Um, I'm in Sunset Park, which is uh, it's a it's side by side um, uh, Chinese and Latino of of many different um, backgrounds. Historically, uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican, but recently much more Mexican and Central American. Which means that you've got you've got all sorts of things. I, I went to a cuchifrito spot this uh, mm. today for lunch to picked up some chicharrones, and um, you know, there's a my favorite like cafe bar uh, on that corner. There's a rotating group of of folks who sell different types of tamales and and um, and snacks and, and and aguas frescas and that sort of thing. 
Um, no wonder yeah. uh, everyone in New York uh, walks everywhere. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> you got to walk it off. You got to walk sure. it off. But also, you know, you said bad style. And I think any listener who's in their 50s that grew up and listening to hip hop, you know, everyone went in the closet, pulled out their uh, their FUBU jacket, put on their Tim's. You know, I still don't know how you could walk with, in shoes with, without the laces tied. I never figured that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just a Chicago guy, you know, maybe, I, you know. The quintessential getting uh, older guy that you know don't understand these young generations. I do, but but it was yeah. just something about the food, though. Um, yeah. Just walking down the street, the the, the markets, um, right. you know, the small bags of food that everyone was carrying. You know, it wasn't yeah. like people were walking with you know twelve, fourteen different bags of food. You know, going to their to their places. Um, it just seems that. That if you haven't spent a lot of time in New York or even especially in Brooklyn, you wouldn't understand what's on television per se until you really, you know, dive deep into the neighborhood. For sure. And and every neighborhood, I mean, New York is a is a city of neighborhoods. Every neighborhood is um, is is different. It's independent. It's got its own sort of vibe and culture. And, you know, the people really live in the spaces um you know it's 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 not um you know in other parts of the city like in the areas like manhattan you know everyone's sort of passing through they're coming in from somewhere else like um you know it's it's maybe you know it's maybe the place you hang out on the weekends or um or you know for a special occasion mm-hmm. but you know, in, in the neighborhoods like like in Bed-Stuy, in Flatbush, in Sunset Park, um, you know, these are the places where you are every day, right? Okay. You, it's, where, it's where you're coming home to. It's where, you know, you, you connect with your whole community or, you know, you're just going out by yourself for a walk around the block, right? It's, right. It's, where, it's where you really exist. Um, you know, one thing that you and I talked about uh, uh, prior to this, and this is really something where we talk about other uh, genres of arts, such mm-hmm. as music, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, you hear them talking about Flatbush and the neighborhood. It wasn't until later on in hip hop where they actually t- started speaking about the food of those areas mm-hmm. and, right. and understanding, you know, that New York was, wasn't just a slice of pizza uh, anymore. But it's that too. Yeah, but it is that too. You know? and, and, and of course, you know, a uh, Chicagoan and a New Yorker can debate about pizza all day long, you know? Uh-huh. As long as it doesn't come from L.A., where I think we both agree that, you know, yes. you know that it's it's all right. But, For sure. I, you know, but the thing is, is that, that, you know, other art forms have embraced the community and the people in the neighborhood have embraced the community. Why do you think that there's still a, a not known function of what Brooklyn actually brings to the culinary table compared to Manhattan? And I'm saying, you know, in those quote unquote awards where you can see across the board, you know, where there's beard, uh, Michelin, right. and everything like that, they usually focus on Manhattan first and the auto barrels are, are really kind of, you know, leftovers. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know that I think that's the case anymore. And I, I think that like, that's exactly what I want you to hear you say, that it wasn't the case anymore. Go yeah, ahead. I think that that's, you know, this is the thing about when I um, when I was starting out, right? The, it's when there was a level of creativity and newness and experimentation that came from it being considered the, the wilderness, the outlands, whatever. But, like, you know, I, I you know, I've, I think I have, I still have, the yeah the 2007 Michelin guide which mm-hmm. is the first first one they they issued for New York and um and you know in that first one there was at least one um great Brooklyn restaurant it's it's not it's not around anymore that that had gotten a star um and so from back from then there was acknowledgement that there was something happening in Brooklyn. And I think these days, and you know, it depends. I, I think these days that you've, you do get the funding and the attention, mm-hmm. but again, it's in the places that have been gentrified enough to end up looking like Manhattan. 
Okay. Um, and so it's sort of a double-edged sword. Uh, it's almost better not to get too much of that attention because it usually means that you're not going to be able to afford to live there anymore. Um, I mean, I've seen it with Charlie Trotters, you know, being a Chicago guy. When he was in the neighborhood, there's two abandoned, t- I mean, there's a tire shop next to him, mm-hmm. a couple abandoned buildings. He opened over there, bought mm-hmm. the building next door. Next thing you know, the whole neighborhood, 10 years later, you can't even recognize it. Right. You know, and I believe what you're, what you're saying is is true. And we're going to spend just a couple more minutes on this first half of, of, of the of the show uh, where is white tablecloth dining going? I saw an interesting article in Grove Street um, this this weekend, where you know they went to uh, Daniel, uh, not Daniel, I'm sorry, Levin Madison Park, and they were really just talking about the price tag of you know of nine hundred dollars. And for uh, a chef like myself, you know, I, I I have zero problem with paying for it. Um, for the experience of it, but the layperson, I can understand where where the world is changed so ever slightly. Where we're going back into our own neighborhoods, we were forced back into our own neighborhoods, right. you know, to to a, to a certain extent. Where do you think New York dining is going to end up on the other side of this? All right, so there are a couple of things in there. I, I will admit that. Um, that when you start talking about white tablecloth, like I photograph some of these places, but they're, you know, they're not in my budget for the most part. Um, there are a couple. I, uh, I don't want to get an illusion that they're in my budget either. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, you. I mean, I mean, you know, but it's a, it's part of business, so sometimes we have sure, to sure. we have to do it. You know. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, I uh, you know, so I have, you know, there are a couple a couple places that I, I definitely you know. Um, my wife and I are, are planning out our, uh, our anniversary for this year, uh, where we want to go to dinner. And so like we were talking about a few places and there, there's definitely something happening in that space. Um, I'm not gonna, (laughs) uh, you know, there was a, uh, a fairly well-read, um, article about a review of Eleven Madison Park just this last week. I, I'm not going to pile on with that, but um, just to say that I don't, you know, those aren't the places that are, that I'm super familiar with because I'm not, you know, that's not my experience, right? It's not my experience that occasionally I'll go there uh, to, to photograph, but, you know, I haven't eaten there since it was a Danny Meyer restaurant right. uh, close to 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um I do hear great things about um, about what James Kent's doing um, with with Saga, um, and that sounds it sounds like a, you know it sounds like an amazing um, experience, and and I think that's what I think that's what White Tablecloth is is really about these days is mm-hmm. about providing that experience, um, you know the hospitality part of the entire thing. Um, and I'm, I'm curious myself about how that's all turning out. Um, but you know, uh, it's like I said, that's, it's not always in, in, in the budget. Personally, if I'm, you know, when I want to have a really amazing experience, like I go back to the classics and, uh, you know, Gramercy Tavern, um, is always one of those spots where it may not be the it may not be the hot place that everyone's dying to get into, but it's the place that everybody knows they're going to go and they're going to have an amazing meal. It doesn't have to be in the news all the time because it just everybody knows it's good. You know, um, uh, to quote Charlie again, um, uh, Chef Charlie, I want to give him his, his due respect. That he said that sometimes when diners come in, they expect the table to levitate. Mm-hmm. And when the table doesn't levitate, they don't have the greatest experience. Right. Um, and I really, there's this kind of juxtapose that I've seen going on where even in the casual dining, uh, because people are just so wound up still and our political climate is not helping, that people mm-hmm. still are expecting the table to levitate. I think the casual dining gives people a, a room to breathe just a little bit more compared to maybe... Uh, putting on a being told to be put on a jacket. Yeah, we had to be told to put on a mask. Now you got to be told to put on the jacket. Put on the <laughs> right. and, and 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 it's nothing against those things at all. I you know you know my background is in that type of, of dining atmosphere, but I think that the 
continuing telling people how to do something is wearing thin on a lot of diners. And, and just we got about one more minute on this first segment. I want you to sum that up for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I've heard that and I hear people talking about that, but I don't um, I don't know. I mean, I think the the where I'm coming from people are just happy to be able to go back to restaurants. People mm. are happy to have those experiences again. And some of those are going to be fancy and some of those are just about comfort. Um, and I think that we're in a point where people need a lot more comfort, um, whether it's, whether it's high end or, you know, around the, around the corner neighborhood spot. I, I think um, that's really, you know, the, the point that I, the reason why I wanted to start with New York and really talk about that is a lot of times when I'm doing, you know, the podcast, uh, giving people a sense of the places where the, the guests are helps them understand their you know, point of view. And you being in New York, um, me being in Atlanta, where Atlanta, I don't think ever closed. I think we closed for one day um, with the shade still halfway open, and, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and now seeing you know, everyone in New York being happy about dining where I don't think we took the same precaution here in, 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 in the South. But I just want to really thank you for that part of, of, the, of the show. You're listening to Soul by Chef Todd Richards. Up your marketing game and support nonprofit food radio when you put your brand on the HRN Airwaves with a business membership. HRN is committed to spotlighting small businesses that keep our community vibrant. When you become an HRN business member at the $500 level, you'll receive on-air mentions on HRN podcasts, shout-outs on social media, listings on our website, and more as part of our thank you package. By becoming an HRN member, you'll help sustain our mission to transform the way people think about food. In return, HRN will shine a light on your work in front of an audience of food enthusiasts, industry insiders, owner-operators, and decision-makers. Become a business member and make your tax-deductible donation today at heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Welcome back to Soul by Chef Todd Richards. I have Clay Williams, uh, one of the great photographers uh, in the country right now. And, you know, in the first segment, we were talking about your photography and how you got into photography and, and the many ways that you uh, view food. But I am a more and maybe more of a nerdy question. Is mm-hmm. there a difference in looking at food from behind the camera than it is when you just have it in front of you while eating? Um, yeah, I think, I think there has to be, right? Um, because, well, ideally, when you're sitting down to eat, you aren't spending, you know, 20 minutes or however long trying <laughs> right. to get the most beautiful shot. We all know that's not right. actually true. Right. People are doing that all the time these days. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that, I think that getting... Getting the shot to me is about considering all of your options, considering your angles. You know, you want it to be as quick as possible just because you want it to be fresh and to look as fresh as possible. But you have to you have to try things out and you have to experiment mm-hmm. um, the same way it is for, you know, for designing your presentation from your end. For me, it's about... Um, trying to capture the best of that presentation. You know, when you say presentation, um, uh, you are capturing, the word you just used, capturing uh, someone else's art. And me as a chef, you know, my art is fleeting. You know, as soon as it gets on the plate, it, 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 there's a, 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 a ticking time clock on how well it's going to look. I mean, it takes a lot of Absolutely. expertise, you know, to figure those out and really understand how to get that done in the most technical way possible, but also in the most elegant way possible as not to disturb someone else's art form. Right. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, a lot of that is, is practice. A lot of that is just, um, you know, doing it over and over again. But I, I also think that it's important to, to understand the subject matter mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I don't always think of myself, like, I, I, I've always been a little iffy on 
whether or not I think of myself as a food photographer because I feel like I I don't just shoot food. I spend a lot of times in kitchens. I'm photographing people. I'm capturing, you know, you making the food as much as I am the food itself. Right? Uh, so you're talking about the environment as well. So I, I, I really didn't even think about it in that way, that you are actually transforming the environment that this food is being prepared in you know, into subject, you know, matter in which people can consume in a different, a different format. I didn't really did not think about it that way. That's a great, great way of of putting it. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's always about food and context and not just about capturing the environment in the photo, Mm -hmm. but also understanding the environment, right? Like understanding the ingredients. Like I, I got into, um, I got into food, photography as much because I like to cook and eat the food as anything else, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm in the kitchen at the James Beard house or at a restaurant, wherever, um, you know, when we were at Lake and Oak, I wanted to see what you're doing because I want to understand what the food is so that I can understand how best to bring out the aspects of it that that won't necessarily be seen immediately. If I know it's got these ingredients in it, if I know it's got the sheen to it, I know that, you know, this is often served this way or that way, then I'm not just taking a picture of something that's put in front of me. I am able to engage with it in a way that lets that I can ask you the question, like, mm-hmm. oh, should this be there? Should that be there? Does this, you know, is this made with that or this? You know, would it make sense for you to throw in these spices or garnish or something like that? Um, and I think that only happens because of my own connection to food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are a lot of people who might take, you know, a picture, who, who might treat food like still life which is to say that it's it's photographing food is the same thing as photographing um products is the same thing as photographing you know um you know like a, a an interestingly arranged stack of objects right right um and and for me i don't you know if I'm photographing a person, I want to have an idea of who that person is. I want to, I want to see them. I want to talk to them. I want to engage with them. If I'm doing proper portraiture, I want to like be able to, you know, be able to chat with them and have an idea of what makes them tick to, to sort of bring out the aspects of them that might be hidden because the camera's there. I think the camera also, um, and and I'm I'm I thought I was a good photographer until I met you, and then <laughs> you know I just stuck with my iPhone. I think my uh, my my camera is over here collecting dust. I didn't even pull it out when you were here. Um, I didn't want to shame myself. Um, okay, okay. But uh, you know the, the aspect of photography that that I enjoy with your work is that it has context outside of just food. Um, and it's not the classic of just hands on plates. Um, they, you know, you might even go farther up on the arm and shoulder. Uh, you might get some of the forehead in it, uh, uh, the belt buckle holding things in there. You, it feels like you're capturing the soul. Uh, that's a pun intended for that one. You know, the soul of the person um, behind the food as well as the food that you're presenting. I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, I don't, you know, everybody takes pictures of their food now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just... And they all look like shit. I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just... I, I'm not going to go with that. I, 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 will, of, I, you know, I tell them, if you want a picture, let me take it and, yeah. and I'll send it to you. You know, don't, yeah. you know, have the flash on, it's reflecting off oh, your... Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, no, listeners. I, don't, I want to critique your food. Don't send me any nasty <laughs> emails. But go ahead. It, you know, it, it's one of those things that takes practice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it takes experience and understanding. And so, like, you know... I am better at 
photographing a dish now than I was 10 years ago, not just because I've become better as a photographer, but because I have learned more about um, about the ingredients, about the food, about the chef, about the restaurant, about the restaurant environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those things that sort of goes into um, into every photo I take is um, is that experience, is that that sort of knowledge. And let me uh, ask you this question, mm-hmm. um, uh, and. It's going to lead to the the final subject that we're going to talk about. Okay. But, but those hands and, and plates, um, it seems like in a lot of the older cookbooks from, you know, from uh, the diaspora or West Indies or even mm-hmm. Southern chefs, uh, black chefs in America, that there was no really, uh, there was no photos. I mean, there was just no you know, nothing, there's sometimes illustrations. Right. Uh, if there was a photo, it was probably some big spread and that might be the only photo in there. And certainly I understand right. budgets and things like that. But it seems like there was an absence of the people uh, in the in these cookbooks. And, you know, where do you think that is right now with the, you know, you, know, you just did uh, uh, Chef Kwame's book. Of course you did, you know, my book, which is still in production, where do you think we're at now bringing more of the character and more of, of the true uh, people uh, behind the food uh, into cookbooks? Well, I mean, I think we're making progress. I think that, it, it, to be clear, like, I, I think that the reason, um, the reason if you look at those older books that they aren't, I mean, some of it is the aesthetic has changed um, over time and that's just the way, you know, cookbooks were back then. I mean, if you look at the joy of cooking, there are no pictures in there, right? Um, You know, uh, the same with, um, you know, mastering the art of French cooking, right? Uh, They're they're all text. That's just the way those things were um, for the most part, maybe some illustrations. Um, But, um, as more photos, as having more photos became more popular, you know, the thing that made the difference is the budget. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, you gotta pay for a photographer, you gotta pay for, you know, for color pages. Um, you have to pay for, you know, the ink and and the production quality, like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the issues has always been that, you know, you might historically, you might have like, you know, one black cookbook in a given year and that one might be coming out of like an educational press or something instead of, instead of one of the bigger, you know, the bigger publishing houses, publishing houses in a proper trade. And so, um, you know, I think, I think that we're at a time when there are more, potential opportunities, um, we'll have to see where it goes. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to have been able to be a part of, um, you know, of both of your and, and Kwame's cookbook. There's another book that I shot this, this spring as well, um, that I'm really excited for as well. Um, and I know, I, I know a number of other folks, uh, you know, black chefs out there, um, who are, are or have been working on on books this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I think that once you have this many, um, that it will, I hope, open doors to say these are things that can happen. I just hope that you know when we have twenty black cookbooks out next year, nobody says, "Okay, we're done." I agree with that, especially since mine is supposed to come out next year. And this is my second book. Um, You know, but there's um, there is a uh, understanding that there are going to be a lot more, you know, black cookbooks and not only from from chefs of of North America, you know, from the Caribbean, from South America, from from Africa that um, you know, know, and and it shows the diversity of of what we are. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong with the pressure of competition in order to produce the best book. 
Um, no, not at all. And I think that, you know, I think that, I think that the lesson that should come from the wave of, of black books uh, that I think is coming next year, that I know is coming next year, mm-hmm. should be opportunity to show how things can be different, right? And to show that there are a lot of different ways that you can make uh, a, a cookbook that reflects the person and their culture, not right. having right. to represent right. the right. entire culture, right? I mean, I've never, you know, like I, I have a, um, you know, I, I know someone who was dealing with the book uh, proposal process last year and was told, oh, we are, she's, she's Indian and was told, oh, we already have an Indian cookbook coming out for next year. So we don't need yours, right? I, I never hear anything about that for Italian cooking. Right. I mean, how many pasta books are there? I mean, there's numbers and numbers of them coming right. coming out on, on top of each other. And to your right. point, there is so much room because we're not all just one monolith of of, right, exactly. of, of, of food. You know, in our research, you know, just in what we did, um, just going from Miami to New York to Chicago, understanding the way peppers are influenced, you know, a lot of the cuisines is really some of the subtle differences that most people would not even even right. know. For the last uh, few minutes we have here, I have to talk about Black uh, food folks, you know, mm. and and the reason why I, I'm one I want to bring this to the to to the end of it of the program because I want people to actually when they you know finish this podcast to to go and and sign up and. And watch the, the the Instagram videos that you all produce and things like that because I think there's a a difference in knowledge um, that you and Colleen have about uh, Black food ways in general that that your diversity in backgrounds and then also the diversity in the people that you all meet in both respective careers it lends a different voice. To um, black food all across the world, and how did you all come about starting that 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 wonderful uh, show on Instagram? So, okay, so start from the beginning. Uh, black Food Folks is an organization. It's a, um, a fellowship of um, black food professionals um, throughout the industry and the overlapping industries. Uh, it was founded by myself and. Um, my co-founder, Colleen Vincent, who's a um, vice president at the Jen Spirit Foundation. Um, we both had the experience of, and this is all pre-pandemic, pre-Instagram, all of that stuff. Well, pre-Instagram Live. Um, you know, we, we had these experiences by, by virtue of, of working in but not necessarily of the, the food industry, restaurant industry, that whole sort of world. Right. Um, both of us have connected with uh, a lot of different folks in the industry, a lot of different black folks in the industry, whether, whether they be chefs, writers, photographers, uh, event producers, um, authors, you know, and, and we found that there were so many common experiences, no matter what sort of structure you're dealing with. Um, if it's, if you're a chef, you're having to explain your vision, explain your food, dumb down your cuisine, um, present, you know, your day, everything from your decor to your staffing to the music in a way that caters to somebody else. Um, whether it's, you know, you're talking about, you know, if you're, if you're a chef, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about who you're fun, you know, who you're partnering with for fundraising, who, you know, who the, you're talking about the, the food writers and the influencers and the critics, um, you know, you're talking about always having to present for somebody else um, who's supposed to be the arbiter, who's not you. Oh. Um hmm. And, and so we, we found that the, Colleen and I found that we kept having these sort of common, common conversations with people. And one of the things that was in effect of sort of 
our position, but also our community, is that whenever we would talk to somebody like that, um, you know, we'd trade notes. We would tell someone, oh, hey, you know, you should talk to, um, you know, if it's a chef, like, oh, you should talk to JJ, right? right? Or, you know, if it's a writer, like, you should talk to Nicole Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If if it's... Historian, Therese Nelson. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the idea was always to be... The the idea for Black Food Folks was always about bringing people together in a way to to help um, build community so that we can we can work independently from the whatever the influence structure is at any given time. I think one thing that that you all bring, though, to the table is that uh, just you two, I mean, you have expertise and in, in a lot of connections. Um, Colleen, you know, definitely has a lot of connections being, you know, VP at, at James Beard. Um, that that you are not only, you know, presenting or talking about, uh, you know, black food ways, you're also a resource for people uh, to to go out and ask these questions. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you, um, you know, become a chef to cook at the James Beard house? Well, you know, here, talk to this person. You know, you know, uh, it, here's a number right here. Just text her and, and tell her I said, you know, that you're going to give her a call. You know, what do I need to know about a cookbook? Uh, well, talk to this person. Talk to Nicole Taylor. I mean, she's one of the, you know, one of the first people. When I asked her about doing the podcast on Heritage Radio Network, she was one of the great resources for told right. for me to come with with uh, with hot grease. You know, yeah. we're still on archive. I have to. I mean, her archive right. is still probably one of the best uh, uh, archives of of Black food ways in, in the country. But, you know, but what you all are doing in essence, is really uh, bringing a group of people together. And I'm not sure if that was your overarching mission, but that's the way I see what you all have accomplished. Well, that's actually, that's actually exactly what it was. Before mm-hmm. we were, you know, before the lockdown, we were doing in-person gatherings. So oh, that's right, that's um, right. we started out with, like, literally the idea was, and this is always the story, is the idea was that when we first talked about it, my thought had be had been oh we'll get 20 to 30 people we'll you know get the back room at a bar or restaurant somewhere and we'll just introduce folks so that instead of individually connecting one person at a time like people can really meet and gather and and learn from each other and learn how um how to you know learn what they need to know about like um about how to get through this industry. Right, right, um, right, right. And so, you know, we, it's, it was supposed to be just, uh, you know, a handful of people, 20 to 30 people. And um, we ended up in the middle of February of 2019 um, uh, getting upwards of 100 people to come out to Flatbush um, to Colleen's dad's um, tax office, which in West Indian fashion <laughs> doubles as an event space, because of course it does. Right, and you know we got some got some. And friends. probably the idea was an event space first, you know. Yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but but we got some friends to to provide some food and drink, and um, and we you know we ended up filling the place. Um, I, I'm not even sure if you knew that uh, I came in town uh, for an event and I was there at, at that at that event. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, huh. most certainly. No, I think we hadn't met yet. No, no, that's, we haven't. No, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, I mean, you know, Davida Davison um, came through on her way back from Australia. Yeah. Um, you know, we had folks from Connecticut and from 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 down in DC and. You know, and we just, it was amazing. And it was like, you know, it was like being with family. And so from there, I mean, that was the idea, was about bringing people together. And, you know, last year, the plan had been to host um, in-person events throughout the year, talking Mm -hmm. about career development, talking about, you know, sharing our stories, but also like how we get through this industry 
um, both individually and collectively. Um, and then lockdown happened. Right. Um, and, you know, the technology presented itself. Um, I started seeing people doing lives. Um, um, Carrie at Cherry Bomb did a, a, did a whole day of events all on Instagram. Um, and so, you know, we thought, hey, maybe this is the thing to do. I, I uh, believe it is a thing to do. Uh, <laughs> I know yeah. it's a thing to do because I was there yeah. uh, um, for it. And, and I am just like, you know, maybe um, we need to do like a four city tour uh, of that. You know, like like I need another project <laughs> right, <laughs> or, right. or you need another project to do, yeah. you know, in, in our schedules. But it has to be someone, one of our listeners, if you uh, um, have some time to put this together, I think <laughs> I, I right. think I want to speak on behalf of Clay. You know, let's do a four city tour and get it out there. We need some sponsors. We need everyone. Clay, um, yeah. you know, we're wrapping up here. Uh, please tell everyone where they can find you on the web, on social media, or wherever you might be. Sure. Um, on, uh, on the web, uh, my website is claywilliamsphoto.com. Um, more often than not, you're going to find me on Instagram, where I am uh, at UltraClay. And um, I'm on Twitter, too, but you know, mostly that's just being, me being angry, so don't bother following <laughs> Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's where you can find me. And um, for Black Food folks, we are at Black Food folks on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and uh, you know, we are not doing as much um, as 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 many lives as that we did before. Uh, the David and Tony Thomas do still have their. I think they're actually on right now. Right. Do still have their regular check in. Um, um, they're based in Baltimore and they uh, regularly are talking to folks in the community there. Um, we're probably going to be doing some something in the coming weeks. Um, are you going to make it to Charlotte uh, for... I was uh, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. We're, we're trying to figure out exactly how to present from Charlotte. Um, I'll be there, but okay. I'll be behind the camera. Um, I'm looking forward to that... Uh, that barbecue, Todd. Yes. Uh, if anyone <laughs> wants to know, um, we're we're smoking uh, a whole, I think a whole or half cow, um, a whole bunch of fish. It's going to be. We're building the pit ourselves. Uh, oh my goodness, Clay, Clay, we we, we got to wrap up here because you and I can sit here and talk all day. We haven't yeah. had a cocktail yet, so you know we can keep I know. going. I know. <laughs> I know. Going, the going starts I know, right? <laughs> I appreciate your time, my friend. I'll see. You, I guess I'll see you in a couple of weeks here uh, yeah. in, in Charlotte. We'll see you in Charlotte. You're listening to Soul by Chef Todd Richards. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.